Welcome to the Kids Corner, where we explore sensory processing, development, and play with purpose as it pertains to eating, sleeping, playing, and growing. On this podcast, we will educate you on the lesser-known topics, give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice, and provide resources for families and caregivers. We are your hosts. I'm Bean, the co-founder of ReU and a recovering paraplegic. And I'm Nancy, a kinesiologist specializing in pediatrics, facilitating learning and development through movement and play therapies. Today we're talking with our special guest, Susan Terrace. So welcome, Susan. Hi, how are you? Good. So Susan is a specialized kinesiologist and neurodevelopmental therapist with an MNRI specialized training here in Edmonton, Alberta. She is the owner of Affecting Change Specialized Kinesiology and Integrative Therapies, which was founded in 2008. Her mission has been to bring alignment, healing, calm, and re-education to where the body holds tension and protection or presents the limited function. She specializes in children and or adults with challenges and patterns of postures and behaviors that may lead to some of the following labels, such as learning disabled, autism, cerebral palsy, ADD, and there's a whole bunch more. Her directive has been bringing the brain and body to a new state of balance, one more honoring of the whole person who they have the potential to be. So welcome, Susan. We're really excited to talk to you. So if you don't mind going into a little bit more in depth about who you are, your background, and what you do. Thank you for inviting me on, Nancy and Bean. Okay. My journey started as a mom. And a mom who had children, three children, uh, one who struggled later on with attention deficit disorder, and I found this all out as they were going into school, and two that had to repeat grade two because they weren't of proper maturity to be in the grades that they were designated for. So one child I could deal with and think, okay, there's something going on there. But the three children thought, something's going on. What is going on? And of course, we take it quite personally in this realm of thought. But uh, it was particularly the one who needed to go on Ritalin that I was wanting to find more sources of. There was a history behind all of their challenges. They were in a big way. We were living in the north at the time. And they were on a lot of antibiotics for uh, ear infections and that kind of thing. And other issues were just coming up that I was concerned about. And uh, as he got into school, more came about with their learning. So before my son was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, and they wanted to put him on Ritalin, that was all that the system had at that time to support him. So they thought, I needed to find other ways around this. So this began the journey of looking to see what else was available. And somebody came into my world and suggested educational kinesiology, otherwise known as brain gym. So I started training in this area. It's movement-based learning and looking at where tensions are in the body and how when there's tension, which is the paradigm of the fight-flight-freeze response in the body, how that holds a person from excelling. We're either caught into this paradigm of being caught in our reflexes and this goes way back into development if there was something wrong in utero or in early development to later on and if we don't get ourselves out of that fight flight and freeze we will have challenges in development later on so it really appealed to me plus they were using muscle testing plus they were using other components of helping me understand what was going on in the body that was challenging development And that led me later on to going into Touch for Health, which is a connection in affiliation from the man who founded all this work, Dr. George Goodhart. And then Dr. Meskatova's work with the MNRI, so it's called Meskatova Neurosensory Motor Reflex Integration, and the acronym is MNRI. And she took the work of both Touch for Health and and the educational kinesiology, and I've got rhythmic movements, and it's all correlated one way or the other from the beginning of Dr. George Hart's findings. And I spun it and, and took her work. She took those pieces and then put it into her own program and worked a little bit more with specifically the reflexes where I was working at that time before finding her work with muscle testing and finding out how our mind and our beliefs and our thoughts change the integrity of our muscle system. 
So it just kind of evolved in a, in a massive way. And in there, I went to university and got trained in Bachelor of Community Rehabilitation and Disabilities. And it all became what I am now and where I went. Once my children left home, I became the owner of my own business. I was working in the schools and trying to incorporate some of the work, but it's hard when, well, in the system, they have their own paradigms of thoughts and who they're going to bring in for different reasons of therapies and supports and kind of weaving around in many different ways. So here I am now. <laughs> awesome. So it kind of started all with you being a mother and your own kids having uh, concerns about their development. And now you've transitioned it into your work with other children and families in the community. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So now we're going to dive into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of what are primitive reflexes? So Dr. Dennison's work with the educational kinesiology repeatedly told us with his work of educational kinesiology that movement is the door to learning. And Dr. Meskatova shares those sentiments in saying that movement is the basis of natural development. So the primary reflexes, or the primitive or primary reflexes, they're all based in natural development. Every child undergoes the workings of the reflexes in development. We start off in the womb, they mature and integrate as we are born. One reflex will lead to the development of another reflex, and it combines to allow for much more motor access in different modalities. So they're natural movement systems in the body and lead us from the very beginning and on to our senior years. With everything that happens in our lives, we have a reflex of reaction. When we have to talk in front of a big audience, we may be a person who is anxious about that. We hold our breath, our mouth dries out. We are holding our bodies rigid. We go into the reflex and habitual patterns and they serve us in growth and development. But when they are arrested or challenged and they don't integrate into our body system, then we can have challenges, or if they're not even there. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us to the next piece of what can make a reflex dysfunctional, retained, or challenged, I guess. There could be issues with a child in the womb if the mother has had a lot of stress or depending on her thoughts on carrying her baby, if there has been challenged with toxicity, we have a lot of pesticides in our foods these days. There are lots of issues in our environment, toxicities, not only with what we breathe or what we're eating, but with people that we're around. Babies, when they are born, they're put in car seats. They are not as mobile as maybe what they used to be, and it changes them. In order to develop a reflex, they have to be on the floor to practice what the reflex does. And the reflex leads to particular movements and, and growth. And if it's arrested in any way and challenged, then down the road, there might be challenges that come up. Typically through the school years, you'll see issues of handwriting or issues of how a child might wrap their feet around the, the legs of the desk to hold themselves upright. And, and just a lot of different postures will be evident in school and how they're learning. For sure. So it sounds like there's a few different categories in which reflexes can be really affected. So you have the hormonal, so whether it be gestational, so from the mother or, you know, within the child themselves or the environment. I'm kind of pulling out as the two bigger categories and then trauma. Trauma. Yeah. Falling somehow and hurting cells, falling downstairs. Or a trauma or something that inflicts pain can create a decision that's made in the body and that person might shut themselves down from doing something. So then that changes how they move forward in it. So that will change their reflexes to it. The reflex might be more apparent in the body because this person has found something that really makes them anxious, mm -hmm. depending on the story behind it. Mm -hmm. So the emotional cognitive aspect can also play a big component as well. Absolutely. So let's go through a couple examples to start tying everything together. So I'd like to just touch on, on what I consider kind of the big five that most people are at least somewhat aware of. So can mm -hmm. we start touching on the moral reflex? So if we can touch on the trigger, the motor response that we see, and the purpose of it. Yeah, I'll go through a few pieces. 
floral reflex is when a child is startled. So you'll see the hands and the legs flail out and up and beyond the head, and then they come back and the core turns into itself and the hands fold into the chest area. So it's two pieces of movement within the moral reflex. It appears in the ninth week of utero. So the protective meaning, the first breathing action is established, the activation of the sympathetic nervous system to signal danger and its escape from painful stimulus and the flight into the inner world. The developmental meaning of it, the whole body extension after fetal position, the movements from core to periphery. So we go from the central nervous system or the spinal column out to the distal area, the fingers or the toes. The movements from periphery to core and then coming back in again. Comes into the bonding and trust, integration of thought and movement, ability to be organized, self-regulation is part of this, the foundation for concentration and comprehension. When it's not integrated, there's excessive anxiety, timidity, maladaptiveness, patterns of protection, and lack of trust. There are overworked adrenal glands, there's weakened immune systems, allergies, and infections. They're hypersensitive to vestibular stimulation, poor balance, motion sickness, poor foundation for all spinal reflexes, fear of taking risks required for learning dependency. For a check that we would do to see if the mora was still engaged and not integrated, we would pull the feet out with knees bent and the feet on the table. We would pull the feet out and we would look for the response in the mora. It would not be necessarily head associated in the way that we would check for mora to be either integrated or not integrated. It would still be engaged. Okay. So my understanding is that it can affect multiple different sensory systems, the moro reflex. You kind of mentioned the vestibular. Does it also affect the visual and the auditory systems as well? Absolutely, because it puts a paralysis in the body. The moro is the key, we call, there's another word that Dr. Mescatova uses, but it's a key reflex that if it's not integrated, it can lead the other ones astray. If moro is still not integrated if it's still highly active then the other reflexes don't begin to do their own integration so that is one reflex that we need to support because it is key to everything working properly okay and yes when when you're in high moral if you've had a, a trauma it's like a deer in a headlights you don't your eyes don't work properly you're looking behind all the time to see if there's anything ready to attack you your perceptions change. The way you interact in your world will change. So many things will change if more is still activated. Mm. So our job, when we do the work, we're looking to integrate those reflexes, balance the body system, so it will allow for more possibilities to occur. Awesome. Very cool. In your professional opinion, does Moro have any ties to PTSD and the treatment of PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder? Absolutely. Absolutely. PTSD, from any trauma, depending on the trauma and depending on how the body absorbs the trauma and what they think of that trauma and how long they hold on to that trauma, the body can hold on to moral. That is, it's, it, it's a shutdown reflex mm-hmm. because nothing else can happen beyond moral. If we don't have moral integrated, it's very challenging for the individual to really go interactive in life. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say that Moro is kind of the gateway reflex to, you know, full development? Perfect. Yes. Perfect analogy of it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. So let's go into spinal gallants, another one that I think is pretty common and a lot of people have heard of. Can we touch on that one a little bit? So spinal gallant. So as we're working with reflex, we do a sensory stroke and we're looking for a physical response. We will only see a physical response if the person has not integrated that reflex. So it becomes challenging when we're working with a little one because we're thinking, okay, if we don't see a response, sometimes we see them very hyperactive and the child is arching in all sorts of ways, but know that when we stroke on this side of the spine, we're looking for deviation and an arching of the back to the same side that we stroke on. If that's happening, that reflex is still active in that body system. If it's happening in a seven-year-old child, this child is way too old to be 
holding on to that reflex. So we have to wonder what's going on in this. Where else do we need to go to support this little one so that they can not feel that so much? When this, these children can often be very ticklish. They can often not be grounded. There, there's a lot of other issues. Bedwetting can be a part of that. They can have incorrect hip rotation, an abnormal gait, poor gross motor coordination, scoliosis, incontinence, irritable bowel syndrome, discomfort with tight-fitting clothing around their waist, ADHD, deficits in auditory processing. So when we're working on this, we, we do the stroke, we're looking for that reflex to come into play or not, preferably in an older person not, but there may have been something that has gone on that caused this reflex at one point to be integrated, but it comes back again at later time because something has happened. Maybe a car accident, it may be the fall, maybe something else, I don't know. But that's how we find it, and then we work. There's specific protocols that we use to work it, to support it, and help it integrate into the body system. Mm -hmm. So when you say do the, the sensory stroke... Yeah, so is that down the, the back, the spine, kind of right next to the we, spinal cord? That's right. We, we parallel the spinal column, starting at the, the nape of the neck, down to the tailbone. Okay. And then cool. we're looking for a response or, or a trigger of some sort. The trigger in the middle of the back, if we do a quick check, you'll see the back arch in, in a quick response. It's like it's ticklish, mm -hmm. and they will go reactive to that. You might hear giggling and... Mm -hmm. <laughs> avoidance <laughs> yeah so I think one thing that I pique a lot of curiosity is you mentioned like ADD or like ADHD yes. as one of the possible consequences of integration can you kind of just briefly explain how that relates to the spinal gallant if you touch spinal gallant and you have a little one that's squirming underneath those fingers you're going to have a little one that's not very anchored in their body system and in their neurology when we're working with this reflex with these reflexes we're working with the nervous system we're talking to the brain from the brain to the ends of the fingers that sensory motor loop a sensory program will elicit a certain motor response and if that's not happening there's a disassociation so if we think of disassociation and a little child that's hyperactive there's a disassociation they're very quick to leap into things they're very quick to be very very busy they're not anchored into thought and reason so they're not clarified in that nervous feed so that brings on their attention deficit disorder if they're not clear in their body the clarity of their external selves and how they relate to the external world is very challenged we work in the body first for bonding and and support and that will only be felt outside once we feel it inside. Awesome. Thank you for that explanation. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to go towards the more the tonic reflexes. So can mm -hmm. we start with ATNR? So asymmetric tonic neck reflex. This is kind of, I think, the first one that most parents will really notice in their infants. Yeah, with the turning of the head. One side will go into contraction, the other side goes into flexion. It, depending on which way the head is turned. So we monitor this by the extension of one arm because with the extension of one, of one arm, the other side will come into flexion if that reflex is not integrated. We can have hearing issues, we can have developmental issues, and I can go into the developmental meaning of that, but if it's still in play, these developmental pieces will not be anchored in the body as appropriately as what they could. So yeah, the turning of the head, the extension of the arm, it comes into play together. If you're driving a car as an adult and you're turning your head and you notice that your steering wheel is going with you, then you know that ATNR is still in play and it could serve well to have it integrated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to paint a more clear picture for those that are trying to visualize what this uh, looks like. So it's that archer's sure. pose. So for somebody who's ever, you know, shot a bow and arrow, they're bringing that one hand back and arch, and you're looking towards the extended hand. And that's kind of what that ATNR looks like. Yes, thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. So now let's go further into the possible consequences of integration and the purpose and that kind of thing. Okay, so the protective meaning, the muscle tone and vestibular stimulation in utero is a corkscrew movement down the birth canal 
breathing for infant in prone position, muscle tone in lower back and pelvic mobility, differentiation of head and limbs, monaural hearing for protection, and foundation for language development. It's amazing what these reflexes will do. When, when you get something in play, it goes into so many different areas of ability. And if they're not integrated properly, there might be a piece of development, as I said earlier, that may not come to play. The developmental meaning of this flexion and extension of arms and legs, homolateral pattern, basis for later re reaching. Differentiation of right and left sides of the body. It is a key for finding midline and developing dominance. The hemispheric, right, left brain hemisphere, differentiation and specialization. Perception development, the hearing, the right ear advantage for language and speech, left ear development for rhythm, auditory and auditory visual integration, visual development, eye-hand coordination, extension of visual focus, attention and memory, foundation for binaural hearing and binocular vision, the pathways between corpus callosum. <laughs> yeah, seriously, wow, that's a lot. There is a lot in it. Yeah, that, this yeah. is a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that speaks to just how important reflexes really are. And, you know, when yeah. we put the emphasis back on reflexes, we can see so much change. And it's not just in muscles, but it's in so many different areas. Like you say, it just affects so many different body systems. Yes, absolutely. I feel like 18R is one of those reflexes we could go on about for hours just because there is so much packed into that reflex. <laughs> it, it, it does. And when you look at the, the reflex to 18R, imagining a little one on its side and an arm extended, the legs on the other side and the arm on the other side going into flexion. But this is also the beginning of being able to roll over. This is one of the very beginning movements. This comes in the sixth to the seventh month of development. Well, even before that, because it's part of coming down the birth canal as well. But it's played out and it goes into rolling stages as the child develops more so. And then they're up on their hands and knees and rocking. So it's the beginning of all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. Would you say 18R is a reflex that leads to motor learning and motor patterning? It can be. I think more the skills of the head, the eyes the hearing, turn, the switching on the ears to work together, switching on the eyes to work together, mm -hmm. and then finding that left side and that right side of the body. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. primary in, a, in many other things when we put it all together. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So it's finding that midline and really starting to orient the sensory systems together? Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, can we touch on TLR? So tonic labyrinth reflex. I know there's different orders in which people say this reflex. It can be LTR or TLR, but I, I learned That's it right. as TLR. We, we, we know it as TLR as well. Tonic labyrinth and reflex. Yes. So the developmental piece behind this, let me start there and then I'll go into the explanation of, of what it can be like. The developmental meaning, integration of proprioceptive, vestibular, and visual systems, muscle tone throughout the body, stamina, body mass, movement coordination, alternation of flexor and extensor muscles, development of anti-gravity response, preparation for rolling over, crawling, standing, and walking, development and integration of other reflexes, as they all are. There, there are the basis of other things coming into play. So tonic labyrinth, it comes when a baby's born, they don't have full extension. They're in their mummy's tummy, all tucked up in a fetal position. The beginning of tonic labyrinth, start, labyrinth and starts there, and it remains as they're on the back, but the hands are more splay. It looks a little bit like, like Moro. It's activated by the infant's body in prone or supine and head positions in space. The tone of the front neck flexors and leg flexors increase when the infant is in a prone position. When the infant is lying on its back, the tone of the back neck extensors and leg extensors are, are increased. I don't work a lot with tonic labyrinth and because of my time frame. It's mm -hmm. an important one, but it takes a lot <laughs> A long time to go through and I'm just seeing a child with hand deviations and the grasp deviation and they're trying to work on penmanship so a parent will come to me with a focus and I'll try and work on that focus and because of the length of time that tonic labyrinth takes to work on I don't typically go to it. Mm -hmm. 
Fair enough. And so I guess for parents, what this might look like when their child in seated or lying is basically that big arch backwards, that head goes backwards that you'll often see, I guess, the child bridging off of their head rather than their Mm -hmm. shoulders. Mm -hmm. All right. And then to my understanding, there's also the two phases of the TLR reflex. So the flexion and the extension. So you kind of mentioned it, how they have the flexion in utero and then the extension is kind of like after birth. Are there instances where they retain the flexion TLR? Yes. When you see anybody walking with a forward posturing, they could be having a dowager's hump. They, 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 that would be coming later on in life. But somebody with a forward posture and humping into their shoulders and head down a lot, they probably haven't integrated that tonic labyrinth and reflex. And that moves into the fight, flight, freeze process. So you might see somebody who's very, very timid, who's going into it. the forward posture is more of a freeze posture where the backward posture in an upright stance is more of a fight and flight. So if you're seeing somebody who's hunched forward a bit, they might be more in a posture, very reserved, very into themselves, meaning protective of themselves, not engaging very much, that kind of thing. All right. And we just have one more reflex of the big five that we're going to talk about. That's STNR. So symmetric tonic neck reflex. Yes. The symmetric, it's, we've talked about the ATNR where we're working one side and then the other. The STNR works both sides together. So the binaural visual, getting both eyes working together, this works with perception, with our alignment of the eyes as we look on the horizontal plane. It is about differentiation and coordination of the head with the hand, arm, and upper back muscles, quieting motor activity to engage vision and hearing, natural vision training program, expands distance and peripheral vision, coordinating proprioceptive, vestibular, and visual systems, and developing spatial concepts. There are children who you would see maybe needing to touch everything, going and walking along walls and holding on wherever they can. They're needing to anchor where they're at by physically connecting to them. And often they are not aligned in STNR because they need to feel their world. They can't see it. They don't know the distance and the perception of they're here and and the wall is that far away from them unless they touch so we go through this in three phases. We start with the little one, in, in a, we call it mouse, cat, dog, and they crouch down basically into a tonic labyrinth profile and we work their heads, we're lifting up and pushing down and I'm having them put their head into my hand and just seeing how they can hold on to that as I'm giving them resistance. Then I get them sitting up with the arms extended in front, the knees are bent, Um, We call this the cat. Knees are folded underneath them and trunk extension is high. Head writing is in play. And we're doing the same thing again. Putting my hand on their forehead, push forward, push backwards, push into my hands to the sides. I can do a visual check at the time. I'm watching for the eyes to work, whether they're working together. I'm watching to see if, if they can go near, far, and without feeling nauseated or without other issues coming into play. And then they're on their hands and knees, and we do this again. And checking for alignment of the eyes and near, far, and looking from something, an object put in front of them to out the window kind of thing. Yeah, so are you talking about uh, the mouse that's kind of like curled up almost in the fetal position, like close to the floor on your knees and elbows? That, that's right. Everybody's on a, on a massage table here, so yes. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Whatever surface you'd like to be on, yeah. And then the yeah. other one would be um, sitting bottom on heels and then pushing off of your hands with your head up. That's right, with an extended arched back and, and head up, right? Yes. Yeah, and then to the hands and knees. So those are those kind of positions you were talking about. Yes, yes. Often a little one has a hard time finding the feel of my hand on their head. They don't know how much pressure you can see a child that goes very highly into pushing back. Those are often children with body control, attentional problems, that kind of thing. So with every feedback, I get a sense of what this child is doing and it gives me some more information as to how to work with them. Yeah. All right. So now we get to jump into the nitty gritty, the fun part, the part where you get to explain more about what is MNRI, where did it come from, and the whole kind of background behind it. All right. It's been an interesting journey because 
Dr. Maskatova, I came in, some of us, some of the people that got into to MNRI came in quite early. They were working in the educational kinesiology field as Dr. Maskatova at that time was. She has a background in psychology and so much more. She's taken medical training. She's taken massage therapy training. She's taken the educational kinesiology, touch for health and all kinds of pieces like that and has pulled it into what she's doing now. So it's a phenomenal amount of information that she's brought forward. And she brought it, first of all, to the educational kinesiology or the brain gym group. And it was the brain gym group. She was doing this in, in Poland. And it was the brain gym group in the United States that invited her to come and join them there. And then she moved into her, her own area of work. It became so specialized that she has then become her own entity and has been growing worldwide since that time. So MNRI is an acronym for Maskatova Neurosensory Motor Reflex Integration Therapy. We're working with the, the nervous system, this is the sensory stimulus and eliciting a motor response. And then we're integrating that piece of work and so much more. So it started with Dr. Maskatova in Poland. She was working, she volunteered to go and help in a hospital with a situation. So the situation were two trains coming into a valley. There was a spark that happened and, and ignited a massive fireball. And many children were badly burned. Many people died in this. These are challenged children coming back from being in the mountains at a, at a camp where they were at a music festival. So she volunteered at this hospital and she didn't have the tools in her psychology to help these little ones with their work. So she had a little brain gym book that she used and she was doing integrative movements from brain gym. She saw that these children were changing and it was making a difference. And she kept doing it and kept playing with it and kept understanding it and wanted to know more about what this whole process was because it was beginning of looking deeper into the reflexes and how they played a role in situations where people have been traumatized and have been left with PTSD. So this has then coincided with children who have challenges, who might have been traumatized in the womb or traumatized during birth or traumatized in their early development and shut down. And then she's just kept her work going and been bringing people who are interested in to play and trying to get more doctors into hearing what she's working on and working with her and developing it more and more and more because in her conferences that she's been having, she's had a couple in Canada years ago and now she more so does it in the States. It's too hard to come across the borders and try and establish and put everything together. So she stays now in the States and people in India are getting her, people in the Netherlands are getting her, but we in Canada, it's too hard. So we're not as open or whatever that's about. I don't know. But yeah, she's going great guns and being invited all over the world to work her magic and do her conferences. People will go for five days or eight day conferences, getting work done for eight hours, six hours, probably six hours, but the breaks in between. Mm -hmm. And they've seen some phenomenal changes in their children or loved ones who they take into these conferences to get support from. That's pretty sweet. That's uh, also sad to know that, you know, Canada is again in the dark ages because of all of the red tape that's involved with this. But so it's really interesting to hear that she's where she started from and where she's doing now, just like you. Mm -hmm. So frustrating. It, yes, I just, I don't understand. There's some wonderful, wonderful things out there, but I just find it so hard to open up our world here yeah. to seeing it and to be, wanting to be interested in it. And a lot of it is a system that we have. And I think a lot of it also the, where our insurance covers. <laughs> yeah. And, and people have often come to me looking for insurance coverage and I don't have the insurance because it's not recognized here what I do. Yeah. So I'm kind of out in a, <laughs> out in a big void. Yeah, us too. <laughs> yes. And there was a time where I worked hard to bring information forward and talk about it. But if people don't have the coverage, they don't want to seek it out. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
All right, can we go a little bit into the different courses, I guess, or I guess sections of MNRI that exist? Because I know there's like postural and dynamic reflexes. And so there's a whole bunch of different things that are offered. What have you taken and what's out there? Okay, I have a course specialist rating. So what that means is that I've attended a number of conferences and put in enough time that I end the courses that I have reached that level. Now, I should be out taking more courses, but at this time I have not been for a while. The number of courses continue to increase. Let me go into the core courses. When I'm working with the children that come to, to me, I have a grouping of maybe seven different processes I can work with. We have archetype movements, those are early developmental movements. We have tactile therapy, which works with the skin and the skin receptors and the proprioception system. We work with neurostructural, where we're going into deep tendon guard of the body that brings the body into the fight, flight, and freeze. If the body's been there for a long time, it becomes chronic and the person has a challenge getting out of that posture. But if we can get into those areas and, and challenge the muscles, we can adjust the way the body is thinking it needs to hold itself. It takes a, a brain component. The brain has to think about how it can change in order to allow the body to move sometimes. So we incorporate intention. We have auditory visual, oral spatial. We have, there's another one. It's not coming clear right now, but there's upper limb reflexes and there's a master's program. Then there's a PTSD program and protocol. It goes on and on and on. I would encourage the website www.maskatovamethod.com and they talk more about these programs and what they will address. But know that each one, as we're working through it, will support other areas of the body. So we're working on auditory visual. Auditory visual, some of the foot reflexes work with our auditory visual component. That was the other one, the, the postural and dynamic reflexes. So that's specifically on the reflexes and doing the sensory input, looking for the motor output and supporting where we need to, to re-educate the body to do things in the most appropriate way and in a more balanced way. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a very comprehensive program that's continually changing and growing and developing, which Absolutely. I mean, as a professional, I really love seeing because there's a lot of programs that are just stagnant and they haven't changed in the last, you know, 10, 20 years. But the fact that it's continuing to grow and progress is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. But you know that that means more training and it means more money has to be doled out. And your brain gets so full of information, you don't know where to go. And I have an hour, depending on what the parents allow me, I have an hour or two hour framework of time to work on the individual coming to the table. So I want to make my time for that child as best as I possibly can to support the parent not having to pay too much money and and the child and getting the best benefit out of it. <laughs> I think that just comes back to you saying how you're saying about goals, right? You have to address a goal in a session and it gives also the opportunity to specialize. So you could really specialize in one specific area or one, I guess, area of reflexes and just dive in and go down a rabbit hole, so to speak with it. Precisely. Mm -hmm. I don't tend to, I tend to go through neurostructural and tactile are huge because it's an overall of the whole body. And I can release the tension in any other part of the body and then work on the reflex because the reflex will come better if the body's relaxed. So we sometimes work on children that are sleeping. That's the best way to work on a reflex because there's no inhibitions then. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Can we talk a little bit more about, I guess, who can benefit from MNRI? I worked from little ones that are five months old. I worked and I worked on on seniors, so the whole gamut. Yeah, I've had <laughs> I've had adults come and they said, "What have you done to me after about four sessions?" Because they're the way they saw their world. She says, "I used to get angry at people and be really irritated by people. I don't do that anymore. What have you done?" <laughs> so she she became to not be aware of who she was anymore. Her her posturing, the posturing of how she would put herself in situations or be around situations changed for her. So that was, it's nice to hear from the adults. The children come and their parents may not see anything. I ask the children when they're ready to go, how are you feeling? Do you feel different? Do you feel better? Do you feel worse? And 
their little heads nod and <laughs> they're not quite sure how they're feeling and they can be quite discombobulated but they go home and have an amazing sleep after that in many cases mm-hmm. but yeah I, I work the whole gamut mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you said it's kind of ideal if they're sleeping so what if you have a child who doesn't want to sit still and you know it's kind of always running around and moving uh, would they mm-hmm. still benefit from MRI or that kind of work yeah, absolutely. They, they more so than any other child, probably, just to help them reorient and and access the frontal lobes where they can think and reason what they're doing, not just be busy all the time with no real purpose to their busyness. Mm-hmm. So, a little one who's doing that, I have on occasion been chasing little ones around the room and to grab a hold of a foot or a, a somewhere where they would allow me to hold on to, and I would typically go to a bonding process. So basically I'm taking from their wrist and working up their arm and holding compression for a seven second count and going up as long as they allow me. Sometimes they don't, in which case the parent has the opportunity to choose if they want to come back. And sometimes depending on what they're hearing, they're so, I'm going to say in trauma themselves because they have a little one that just won't settle and they're trying to do things and have their own, run their own life that they don't know where to go and they can't always hear me say well let's get him at a different time what's the better time of the day for him or i can come to your place and i can get him when he's ready to settle or here take this home with you when you're having a story time squish in between your knees or something like that and around the hips that kind of thing so we do what we can in a sitting and usually we do pretty well i'm not too concerned there's nobody that i haven't worked on when they've come Mm-hmm. They get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Can we go a little bit more into the duration of the session and what in general does it look like for MRI? Because mm-hmm. I know there'd be people coming in and be like, well, what did you actually do for my child in that time? So Right, right. So depending on what the parent will allow me to work within, there's several reasons why they would only come for a certain fr- framework of time. My costs are not that high, and I do that specifically because people don't know what I do and I'm working out of my home so that works in their favor actually mm-hmm. and I can keep the costs a little bit lower but within that period of time I ask if they want two hours or one hour I used to do three hours because I think of the conferences that we would go to and the children would be on the table for six hours at a time now by saying that I'm saying that they would come 45 minutes, then go for a 15-minute break. Another 45 minutes, go for a 15-minute break. Another 45 minutes, a half-hour break. Something like, and then a lunch break in there, some in one way or the other. Here, I don't do that. I will just go continually and whatever the child can do. Mm-hmm. Some, the busier ones, will go for an hour. Ones that are a little more complacent will be on the table for two hours. Mm-hmm. So they come, they book that time, and I can decide that once they come here, because I'll, depending on what kind of day I'm having and how many people are lined up to come and see me. Mm-hmm. And they, they come. My room is set up. I'm in a, a study. in my It's a computer room in my home. I have a massage table that the children may or may not go on. Some children when they're really small they prefer to be on their mom's laps which is fine I'll start working on the farthest area away from the child so that they don't feel too threatened by me I had one little guy earlier in my time and I was working on his feet he had the diagnosis of autism working on his feet and he didn't want me to touch and I could feel that but he was okay with it and then I got up to his hands and I worked one hand, and then he threw the other hand at me after a while because he wanted that one worked on. Then I went to his waist, and the little guy, his eyes were closing, and he was getting a little tired and ready to fall asleep. And I took my hands away. He woke up, and I went back to that again, and he went right back to sleep. I worked a little longer in it. Then I was able to get him on the table, and the parents were so surprised at him behaving like that. But just, just for instance, in, in a situation like that, But yeah, for two hours to an hour, it looks like massage when I'm working on them. It feels like massage. It's very, I guess it can be invasive. They lie there with their clothes on. They are um, getting deep tactile touch in a very safe way, a very comforting way. It's in a very well-practiced way because they wanted to make it so that the body doesn't feel invasion. There's a very firm contact that's made that is not ticklish. There's a balance in the way we touch. 
yeah, in the way that we're lifting the muscles off the bone or the way that we're going into the deep tension of the tendon system, that kind of thing. I'm not sure how I can describe it better. Yeah, and then for the hour, two hours, as long as they can tolerate the work and as long as they look like they're still okay and happy with it. I don't want to get the child to the point of being unhappy because they will never come back. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it goes like that. Mm -hmm. All right. So then for parents, so you've done your session. Is there homework you give the parents and the child as they go about their their day and kind of go into the week? That is my preference, that the parents can have something to go home with. And then it makes the time that I work with the child less. Sometimes we get we can get quick results. I can get results in a child within a couple of sessions. Even the first session, a mom emailed me and showed me pictures of her child doing something completely different than what he did before after seeing me. So that I like love those kind of sessions because the parents can then see it and take it home with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, if the parents, I give them a little bit. I want them to have the dialogue with me about what they're able to take home without overwhelming them. Because some of these parents have three children. And if you have a child with special needs, they're going to take up the parents' time that much more. And I know that many of these parents, they've been seeing OTs and PTs and kinesiologists, all those kinds of things that it's really challenging for them. So to have that dialogue is really important for them. If they can't do it, then that's okay too. We'll do what we can when they come to see me. And in, in some ways, I like that because I know my own pressure. I know the pressure that we need. I can feel the child's body and how I'm working on them because I can feel if they're going into resistance or if they're going into, ah, this is okay. It's relaxing me kind of a mode. Something I was going to say, I know when you introduced me in the beginning, we went into specialized kinesiology. Specialized kinesiology, they've changed the term on that because we have kinesiologists that are trained in the university. And we have the specialized kinesiologists who are trained through the more holistic approach through educational kinesiology, Touch for Health, and probably Mascotova. They've changed that name now to bioenergetics. And I have to change that on my site so that that becomes more clear. I haven't done so to date. I'm (laughs) having to sit down and really focus on my time. That's what has to happen. Yeah, we do muscle testing in our work, and it's a little bit of a different, more energetic responses we're looking for and things. So it changes the the kind of work that we do from a a university-trained kinesiologist. My training is community rehab and disability studies. And then all the other areas, Mescatova, Touch for Health, Brain Gym. So it sounds like you've got most of your training kind of as an aside to your program that you took. Yes, because I got into the kinesiology work first and then I took my I got my degree later Mm -hmm. because there was more respect to somebody who had a university degree I had college yeah all right now what do you say to parents that have been told my child's diagnosis or symptoms or presentation can't improve I see the parents that won't believe it they push to find something else and I see the parents that have gone through the full system the, what the system can offer, the OT, the PT, the speech path, the doctors, the specialists, and then I will see them come here. By that time, there could be a little one that's just so done, they don't want to be touched, don't just leave me alone and let me be who I need to be. And a parent who's exhausted mm-hmm. because she's they've tried everything to find something for their children. And I, I, I so get it. Mm-hmm. And I want to give those parents the biggest hug ever and say, hang in there because because burnout is so prevalent in these parents and what they're being asked to do and be a part of and what's been put on them, having a little one that has special needs. I have families who have two children that are autistic and I just couldn't imagine a life of having to find supports for these little ones all the time. And yet I'm so in awe with the parents that do come yeah I'm just (laughs) the heartfelt connection there but I just say don't give up don't don't give up and you will know when the end comes in the end of the search the end of the the fight the end of the uh, the road you will accept where you've gone and and you uh, there's a sense of being proud of the journey that you've been on being exhausted mind you but there's also a sense of there's nothing more that I could have done. And when the parent comes to that point, 
yeah. they know that they can honor themselves in that. Yeah. If, if a parent's not doing anything, you know, there's more to do. To, I, I would encourage them to keep searching. Go, go to not exhaustion, don't burn out and fall apart, but they have to find that balance. And that'll come only individually. Each individual will find their point. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see the same thing too, where people are, you know, done with the system. They've tried everything, but it still hasn't worked, hasn't given them the response that they wanted. Right. And they are exhausted. And so many people feel this way. Yes. Yeah. There's not because a lot of places to go. Exactly. Exactly. And we are, in some ways, we get what's left over in the parent who's just done. So yeah. done. Well, we're really happy to be able to share your program and your knowledge with our listeners because this is just another resource for them to use and to, you know, take to their advantage because these things work. And yeah. right, it is out of the box. It is not your conventional Western medical system program. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's why it works. Yes. And our program is kind of like that too. It's different, which causes a lot of questions and stuff. But, you know, when it works, it works. And obviously, all of us are being safe with what we're doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to fill the gaps where we see them. And there's so many in the system, just like you have said. And so we wanted to really thank you for sharing your knowledge with us and with our listeners and for doing what you do, right? Like, I mean, there's not a lot of people out there who would take the path that you've taken after your own kid was diagnosed. And so I got to give mad props to you for doing that and then for creating a business out of it and just helping so many people. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. Oh, oh, thank you. It's been a a real pleasure to be able to go back and reassess the journey and talk about it and (laughs) be listened to. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) In a system where they have all the information, they don't want to hear anymore. (laughs) So thank you for the time. (laughs) It's our pleasure to have you on. You know, I learned a lot from it. So thank you. And I hope our listeners learn a lot from it too. On that note, where can people reach you? How do they get a hold of you? I don't have a website, but I do have a Facebook page. It's Effecting Change for Children with Challenges. You can go on there. My phone number is 780-481-7795. It's a home phone. I used to have a personal greeting for people coming to get work with the MNRI under Effecting Change Therapies. But I took that off because more than anything now, I'm in retirement mode. So we do a lot of traveling. Not right now. We're under the umbrella of things that are keeping us at home. But uh, that's how you can get a hold of me and email. Yeah, terrasteuatshaw.ca. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Susan. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and to share your knowledge. We will share the Facebook page in the description of this podcast. So for those of you who are looking to reach out to Susan, we'll share that there. And Susan, thank you so much for your knowledge and for your passion and for changing people's lives. You are so welcome and thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. As always, we would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as this helps us increase our reach. And stay tuned for another episode coming at you in two weeks.